0: We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. That's his nephew. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. That's modern Turkey. He was halfway there when he originally had left the Chaldeans. So he came from Haran. Verse 5. Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all the possessions they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the Turban, the tree of Moreh and the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. And this is the introduction to us of Abram, who's going to dominate and be the key figure for the next 12, 13 chapters as we go forward. He's, of course, the head of the patriarchs. And after Abram comes Isaac, the son of promise. And then Jacob, who God changes his name to Israel, And then from Israel comes his 12 sons, who become known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is now a major shift in the book of Genesis, because we go from the pre-flood world and the superhumans and that judgment to the post-flood world and God preserving the genealogy for the Messiah to come. Now, we know through Noah that God preserved humanity. And we saw back with the table of nations in chapter 10, every one of us in this room come from one of those three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. Also in that genealogy that's preserved for us throughout the early parts of Genesis and affirmed to us in the gospel of Luke as well, through the Virgin Mary's genealogy going back to Adam, Jesus to Adam, we have the messianic genealogy. And it is through Abram, that God is going to preserve the messianic promise that a Messiah would come into the world, as was spoken of in Genesis 3.15, who would be bruising his heel, but would bruise the head of Satan and would provide that redemption. And so as the covenants are progressing, we get the covenant with Adam, then the covenant with Noah, and now with Abram, we're moving toward what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. And then four or 500 years later, after Abram, Abraham, will come the Mosaic Covenant when God makes the covenant with Moses at Mount Sinai around 1500 BC when those descendants of Abraham are an entire nation of millions of people and then the nation of Israel will be entrusted with the prophets and the word of God and the messianic line through Judah and then ultimately through the house of Jesse and David for Jesus coming into the world as we pick up the record of Jesus in the Gospels. So Abram is the link to Jesus Christ coming through the nation of Israel and God determined that for 2000 years in that post-flood world before Christ his son would come in the progressive revelation of the covenants from Noah to Abraham to Moses and then ultimately for all of us which we will celebrate next week with communion the new and everlasting covenant through Jesus Christ that he would Give progressive revelation and more insight, more prophecies, typologies, and various other things. We'll get to Melchizedek very shortly, and he's the typology of Jesus coming just around the corner in the book of Genesis. But Abram is our key guy, Abraham and Sarah. So if I call him Sarai or Abram, Abraham and Sarah, just know that I'm just kind of going the before and after when God does their name changes because I tend to say both. (laughs) So anyways, going forward with Abraham. This ultimately is Abraham responding to the call of God on his life. The upper call of God in Christ Jesus, really, because we know everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. So when we think about God appearing to Abraham as Abram and calling him from all that he knew to that which he did not know and that journey of faith and all that he would do through him to bring a son of promise from a woman who could not have children to become a nation by which his word would be preserved and by which the Messiah would come, it was all the call of God on his life, God calling him. And we see the call of God upon men and women throughout the Old and New Testament. You look at Mary in Luke's account, where when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and he laid out the plan, she said, let it be to me as thou hast spoken, the maidservant of the Lord. That was her responding to and submitting to the call of God on her life and what it would entail And how it would affect her life. And we have so many accounts of men and women like this throughout the Bible. Esther going before the king. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. But I'm going before the king. And the Bible is filled with these calls of God. But everything in the Old Testament to the call of God is a shadow of things to come. Of really which we find the fullness of when a person in our dispensation or in the church age. We hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit confirming it. And we respond to that message. We receive Christ. As many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And we respond to the call of God. You just go back to the Harvest Crusade, the 30th anniversary of the Harvest Crusade, people that went forward, more than 8,000 people, we could say and we would say they're responding to the call of God as they're responding to the gospel for the first time or a recommitment of their lives to Christ. They're saying, yes, we want Christ. We want to pass from death to life. We want to be saved. And in being saved, we want to fulfill what God has set before us for our lives because there's a plan for every life, and that plan is not fulfilled until we respond to the call of God In Christ Jesus. So it's forward, onward, upward in Jesus Christ. So as we have this Old Testament calling on Abram's life, who had become Abraham, we see things that are very applicable for our life that we can take from his context of what God did in his life that we can look at for our life. And so our context and our application tonight is our great calling from the Lord. Because really what it comes down to tonight. Abraham and Sarai, who became Sarah, they fulfilled their great calling from the Lord. And we know that from the scriptures, both in the Old and the New Testament. Abraham is later called by the prophets years later, the friend of God. Abraham's commended in the book of James and Galatians and other places. Sarah's commended with great admiration in Hebrews 11 as a hero of the faith. So, they fulfilled their call of God. They had their timeline and their purposes, but this is our timeline. And as I say so often, our purposes and our opportunities. So, tonight, pulling from this call of God on Abraham's life, I want to talk about and the application that we get from this text for the call of God on our lives individually. Some of us are here tonight, are married collectively in our marriages because the two are one. And whatever place we're found in tonight, in the beauty of singleness with the Lord, or being married with the Lord, uh, having children or not having children, or having adult children, and all the variations that we could have. Each of us has a calling from the Lord, and if we're married collectively together. And so we want to talk about this in Jesus' name, what our great calling from the Lord looks like, and what we learned from Abraham. We see when God came to Abram, it says there in verse 1 that the Lord had said to Abram. So that's a past tense, picking up from the previous chapter where he and his father and his entourage of people and possessions that he gathered, they stopped in what is southeast Turkey, Haran, modern Turkey. And they were there for a while until his dad died. And after his dad died, he continued on to the promised land, which begs the question, was that part of God's plan or not? Contextually, realize in that culture, honoring your parents is the the highest honor that uh, to be filial in that sense where you, that honor of what you do in so many cultures. We talked about this Tuesday night with this text. It's just so important that you honor the ancestors and your forefathers and especially in the Asian cultures in not disgracing the legacy of the family and these things. And in some cultures, this is stronger than others. But in the Middle Eastern culture, it is at the highest level. So when God came to Abraham, when he was Abram, and he said to him, this is, the pre- this is the prerequisite. This is self-determination. This is the actions expected in response to the revelation of God. He said to him, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And this is so often the case with the call of God is God can't really show us what he wants to do until we move on from what he wants us to let go of. He can't fill our lives with the blessings that he has for us in the new chapter until we let go of the and bring the completion of the previous chapter. Of course, we know if anyone's in Christ or a new creation, old things have passed away, all things are new. And we know that when Christ calls a man or calls a woman to himself, that he is Lord, and that involves supremacy over all things. So this is the first thing I want to talk about tonight in his call on our life, is that Jesus Christ commands and expects supremacy over our entire life. Our holistic person, our spirit, mind, and body. Billy Graham said for decades and decades around the world with so many translators, Jesus Christ is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And that supremacy of Christ, his authority over our life is reasonable. It is honorable because God's way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven and it's a show to all who trust in him. We're made by Christ and for Christ. We're held together by Christ, this entire universe, including you and I, tonight. He is the atomic glue holding all of us together, including the matter that is our bodies in this time and space that we occupy right now. He is our creator, but when we choose to receive Christ as our savior for our sins, he is not just savior, but he's savior and Lord. And we see Jesus' teaching in the New Testament when he calls people that he calls with full supremacy as Lord for their life. When he walked by Matthew in the tax collecting booth, he said, follow me. And Matthew left his vocation, that moment, his whole identity, his livelihood, everything. We don't know if he was married or whatever, but when Jesus walked by and said, follow me, he let it go immediately. Immediately. And Jesus was Lord of his life. And he had the meal, the dinner. he invited all of his friends to hang out with Jesus because Jesus was his Lord. When Jesus called Peter, John, and James from the fishing business, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we know that Peter and Andrew left their business. We actually know that in Luke's account, Jesus was teaching in Peter's boat. And Jesus said, drop your nets on the side here. And Peter goes, you know, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything, but you're the captain of the ship. So at your request, we'll do this. And the nets were filled with the fish. And Peter looked at Jesus and he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. John and James, the sons of Zebedee, they walked away from the business that day. And we don't know what went on before that between them and Jesus. There's some things we know, like Andrew had listened to Jesus and came to Peter and said, could this be the Messiah? There's things that tell us stuff, but at that point, he became Lord of their lives. And even when his teachings were hard, he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter said there in John chapter six, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. They were all in. Recently, I watched a very entertaining Series, uh, looking back at like one of the Chinese dynasties way back in the day, and it's with subtitles. And I I like to hear different languages. Just reminds me that Jesus speaks in a lot of languages. And in watching this, it got my attention right away in that Chinese culture because, of course, many of you know my son Luke is proficient in Mandarin legally and has been to China. And I find different cultures fascinating. Having been to Japan a couple times in the last few years, I just I love other cultures. But in this tv series it involves the emperor and all these people but something that really got my attention over and over was the homage one paid to the one in authority over them and so they had this thing like this where they're constantly going like this submitting to the authority and recognizing the authority so before the prime minister like this and before the emperor they're all like this and i thought you know wow like we do this for men in different cultures why could I not do that from my heart for Jesus Christ? Because the great emperors of China and the great kings of England and the great solitans of the Middle East and so on and so forth, they all had, there were men and women, great queens as well. And they had failures and they had power. Hannibal and his armies or Attila the Hun and his armies, all these different people, all these power, Cleopatra and all these different people and the homage that people paid to them. And yet... They called them Lord, but these were human beings with sinful natures, and their reign was temporal. But we serve Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, so God has really ministered to me, like, hey, if they go like this for the temporal long time ago in, you know, the, the Tang Dynasty or something, why can I not wake up on September 14th and go, yes, Lord, where would you have me go this day, and what would you have me do? So we all learn different ways, and that kind of visual is something that, like, wow, that's that's powerful for me. That's lordship. I think we we have a cheap grace in America, and in 2019, it's very something like you know, like everyone, like seven out of ten Americans still go to church, but seven out of ten Americans are not spirit filled. And I've shared this recently when we started the church in Virginia Beach in 1991, when my oldest daughter wasn't even one yet, Hannah, who's now almost thirty. God said to me, "We're at a critical juncture," and He said, "Do you want a pastor?" a congregation of churchgoers, or do you want to make disciples? It's early on in the ministry, first senior pastorate. And I thought, well, the Great Commission is make disciples. The objective is to make disciples. All those missionaries that have gone out for 2,000 years in Jesus' name, the apostles and those that followed and all these people that went out in Christendom around the world to share the gospel, very few of them went out to make churchgoers. Very few of them went out there to be cool and make a name for themselves. And if they did, they got the beat down. Because if they're sincere, they're going to get a beat down. So it'll be more of Jesus and less of them. China doesn't need Joy Buran. China does, Japan doesn't need Joy Buran. China needs Jesus. Japan needs Jesus. It doesn't need you. It needs Jesus in you. And that's the legacy of the great men and women who have changed the world in Jesus' name as they've gone out fulfilling the Great Commission. We have to be all in. We have to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that a servant is not greater than his master. And he said that if we put anyone or any pursuit before him, we're not worthy to be his disciples. Oh, but I got to go first take care of my debt. No, that's no. Let the dead bury their dead. He said very strong definitive things, especially in Matthew 10 and throughout Luke's gospel that make very clear he's lord of all or not lord at all. And it's really easy for us to have a convenient, biblical Christianity in Orange County in 2019, or anywhere in America, actually, where it's like, yeah, you know, like we know we're saved by grace. We're seeking the Lord. We we go to church a couple times a week. We might listen to K Wave or whatever Air One, and we're you know we're, we're making good decisions as a whole. But like, you know, we kind of can take it or leave it. It, it becomes convenient. But when Jesus called Abram, he said, get out of your family, get out of your country. I mean, he uprooted him from everything he knew, all of his identity and your father's house, all the ancestors before him. Forget about the shield that represents the legacy of your family. Forget about all their accolades or what they did. It's you and me in a new country. And by the way, it was an all in. And until he really acknowledged the Lord first. Everything was a standstill. It's not till his father died in Haran and he got to the promised land that we read of God speaking to him. We don't read of God speaking to him in Haran. God said in Ur the Chaldeans, get out of your family, get out of your father's house and get out of your country. And then when he gets to the promised land, the next revelation comes. So my point being of our calling is that there is the supremacy of Jesus Christ needs to be over our entire lives to truly fulfill what he has for us. It's one life, it's one opportunity. And it's not about being a churchgoer or a good person or thinking positive thoughts or good vibes or whatever the things that are so popular in this current generation. Or even a stew of mixed religious beliefs, if you will. It is about Jesus Christ, the Savior, having died on the cross for our sins, and the Holy Spirit will confirm our need for the saving grace through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will confirm that we've given our life to Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit will press us and move us toward forward, onward, and upward in Jesus' name to the higher calling of Jesus Christ. It is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And what we really need more than anything else in our life is to be all in with Jesus that our consciousness throughout the day and our decision-making is not based upon convenience or safety or security. It's based upon being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he's speaking to our heart this day and his lordship over our day and letting him direct our steps. It's literally like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on a daily basis. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways and let him direct your path. So it really is about being under the Lord, and when it comes something that's difficult or arduous or a trial or a tribulation, how many people check out I mean the parable of the soils Jesus talks about the the plant that had no depth, and as soon as hard times arose, they were gone and they talked about the plant that was choked up by the cares of this life. but when you find greatness in the kingdom of God, you find women and men who are completely totally sold out. And for Jesus Christ and under his lordship. And they are cognitively, consciously aware of his presence and his purposes in their life in the fullest sense of the day. And I know many of you live like this. So I'm just reaffirming how you approach your day and how you approach your life. This week, I spoke with a number of different people that have done profound things for the Lord, whether it's ministry with the homeless, whether it's having gone to foreign countries as people American women. And I I say, how do you do this? And time and time again, it just comes up. You just do it. You just do it. You just do what the master says. He's the Lord. And we want to make sure as we go forward in this journey that he's Lord. Because if he's Lord, we fulfill what he has. If he's not Lord, we can miss what he has. And we can just be churchgoers or religious people. We want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. It's scary sometimes, and it's quite the adventure, but that's the fruit for time and the fruit for eternity. Now, the second thing we see about our calling, so he's supremely over our calling. The second thing is it's his work promised. Look at verse 2. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. He's got our back. So we let him be Lord and master of our life like Abram did. And we take those steps of faith where we put Jesus before all other pursuits and passions and dreams. We surrendered all, all to thee, I surrender, all to thee, O Lord, I surrender. And then we enter into that calling, but it is his work promised in and through us because that call of God is a work he's gonna do in us by his spirit, and so work he's going to do through us to the benefit of humanity. And the people that are most inclined to lose their life to the benefit of other people, in Jesus' name, are those who are most all-in with the Lord in the first place. Because who in their own strength would die to themselves and let others have preeminence over them? It's very contrary to the fallen nature of the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. But when you're a spirit-filled woman or a spirit-filled man, and you have to give up your rights... Those rights ultimately are given up for humanity in Jesus' name, but then it's to serve others, is to lose our life in service to winning lives by how we handle things. And again, time and time again, when you look at the lives of people who have not just lived faithfully for the Lord in a Western world environment and just been good stewards, whether they're faithful businessmen or businesswomen or, or faithful housewives or mothers and things, just but... Greater sacrifices, where people are really pulled out of their comfort zone, where you're pulled out of where you live and what you know, and where you're, whether it's a season of a new adventure, like a new job that takes you out of state and it's new bosses in a whole new situation, or whether it's something more profound where you go to Ethiopia for years and do ministry, like our friends Sean Haveler did from Worship Generation back in the day at Calvary Costa Mesa, or or even like David Downs, who was very involved with Worship Generation. He was an engineer at UC Irvine, and the Lord just said you're going to be... His great-grandfather was an Italian citizen and he worked on his Italian citizenship for years. Eventually, he met his wife and he pastors to Calvary Chapel in Italy now and he's very involved in the Calvary Chapel movement in Italy. Him and his wife, Denae, they live there. We support them. He was from Corona and he had a normal Southern California life like most of us and he got in at UC Irvine and he had great grades and God said, let it go. And now... Fifteen years later, he's serving the Lord faithfully in Italy, and he's been involved in a number of church plants. That's a pretty big change. I mean, even if it's in your family heritage, like my great-grandmother came from Norway, as did my great-grandfather. I'm actually named after the village I'm from. It's Buran. And I, it'd be like if the Lord said, now you go to Norway, go down your heritage and change your citizen to Norwegian, which would be hard to do, and go to a, a profoundly socialist country where things are super expensive, which would also be hard to do. And go to Norway and go do the Euro thing for Jesus' name where the Christian population is very minute and there's still a remnant of Lutheran church influence. But, I mean, that would be pretty radical to do at any time in your life. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God not ashamed, bless. not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel.